0: Welcome back to DM Nastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm one of your hosts, and that is a very liberal term because there are many much hosts on this one, and I am Joke Maniac. Nope, aka
1: DM Neil.
0: It normally goes in the <laughs> reverse you, order.
1: You, your alter ego has now taken over <laughs> your Boom. body. Boom. <laughs> yes. I am Josh Schmackelwain, aka DM Three Eyed Sloth. I forget what my name is sometimes.
0: And I'm leaving all of this in because we are so excited because today we are bringing to you DMNASTICS episode 100. 100. <laughs> <sighs> brainerr, brainerr, weird sound effects go <clears throat> <burnier. laughs> So today we're tying back to absolutely everything or nothing, depending on how you look at it. We've gone to 100 exercises in DMNASTICS. We've actually also been on the airwaves for over two years which is a fact I realized months after we had passed it. So our first DMNastic segment was on episode 38 of the Dungeon Master's Block, and that was on June 28th of 2015. So we are, like I said, months past our two-year anniversary. Dang. So just like in a marriage, we forgot. The- yeah,
1: yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what, is that, what does that make it? It's like our 10th anniversary, right?
0: Oh yeah, something like that. But like I said, we are not alone here in the gym. We are actually going to have quite a few people roll on through and do some lifting for you today.
1: So, it's a pretty cool setup that we've got here for this episode. There's a fancy random gymnastics chart that all the special guests have rolled on, and based on the result, they have to do some mental lifting and they don't know what they're going to getting into ahead of time. It's all a big surprise. Yeah,
0: so our wonderful webmaster, DM Lord Neptune, a.k.a. Ryan, went ahead and made a special page on the Block Party Podcast website where you go there, you hit the button that says randomize me. It gives you a random nastics and takes you there so you could use this yourself and we'll have a link to that in the show notes and hopefully we'll be able to keep updating that so you can just get a random Nastics with the new ones being added in as they are created. That is so awesome. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, Thank you, Ryan. Uh,
0: I know. It's so much fun. Like, I lost a lot of time already
1: to this thing. <laughs>
0: it's still in a tab right now as we're talking.
1: What happens if you randomly get episode 100? Do you have to reach out to a whole bunch of different people to then do random episodes of your thing that you're trying to do? Yes, okay. it does. 100%. <laughs> sure.
0: I feel like you have to roll twice. Okay. <laughs> Well, instead of talking too much about it, let's go ahead and let everyone who came lift the mental weights right now.
2: Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. Hey, blockheads. Dungeon
3: Master Mitch here. I am so pumped. 100 episodes of DM Nastics. This is amazing. First of all, what I have to say is thank you to DM Neil dm phil dm josh all you guys making dmnastics part of the dungeon masters block a part that now if it were to go missing we just wouldn't be the same here at the block party podcast network and then i have to also thank you the listeners who go to the forums every week engage in the dmnastics that are created there so that we can have these awesome episodes that we can bring forth inspiration from you, the listener. We created the Dungeon Masters block with the intent of being able to bring you, the listener, inspiration for your homebrew games. And now you have become a part of that. And through DMnastics, it's just it's all over the Block Party Podcast Network now. It's amazing. Thank you, listeners, for becoming part of. ...of what we do here. So Neil, Phil, Josh, listeners, congrats on 100 episodes of DMnastics. Okay, now I'm going to jump into the thing that I am supposed to do. I've rolled up a random DMnastics, and wouldn't you have guessed it, I rolled up 38, which is entitled The Final Countdown... In which there are images and I get to come up with an epilogue, one of my favorite things for one of these images and for the character that's shown in the image. So the image that I've picked depicts a dark realm. It looks like an underworld or hell and there is a figure, we're going to say the PC, standing before a giant evil God like creature that is just looking down on this PC with flaming eyes and fire coming out of its back. It has four tremendous arms and it's looking down on him with a large grin. And so what I imagined for this image is what if this epilogue is for a cleric that actually was an evil cleric who followed this god. This PC for the entire campaign was a worshipper of this evil god. And so the campaign ends with this PC and all the other PCs' death, whether from natural causes or some big battle. And the epilogue scene for this PC is he rises in the underworld Before the God he has served for all of his life. He looks up. The God smiles down upon him. He draws his sword and he says, I have served you faithfully. But now that I am here, I will usurp you. I will take your place and you get to roll up that battle if you want in that epilogue, or you just go and fade to black. But I thought that would be a fantastic way to end that as an epilogue. Thanks so much for joining us for this 100th episode of DMnastics. Keep on dungeon mastering.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
5: Hey everybody, Professor Crunch here from the RPG Academy, and I just wanted to take a second to join in on the 100-episode festivities and wish DMnastic's many happy returns of the day. 100 episodes is a big deal in this wild west of podcasting, so congratulations on getting this far. What a long, strange road it's been. And because we're doing some crazy shenanigans here, I got to roll a percentile die for whatever we're calling this thing, and I got a 95, which is building better bases. So if we take a look at this map, there are a lot of options of what we could do here. Room 12 looks like it would make a great hot tub slash sauna party area. That would be really cool. Room 6 could definitely be a nice library uh, slash study slash recording area, because obviously we're going to invent magical podcasts here in D and D. I want to do something with 16 and 15, but the walls are not straight. They're too squiggly. And if I'm organizing a room, I like everything to be nice and neat and organized. So though I'm just going to pretend those rooms don't exist. I feel like I should play to the trope I've established for myself and create some sort of cooking facility. Uh, Three could be a very nice staging area for ingredients. I could probably build a nice pantry in there. 22 is such a nice big room. Lots of room for shelves, lots of room for cooking stations. And with that occult summoning circle in there, I bet I could contact the Elder Spirits and come up with some great cooking advice. So I'm going to go with that. I think I'm going to revamp this entire dungeon into my private chef kitchen dominion. Maybe uh, with enough practice, I could become the demigod of sandwiches. I think there's some potential here. Obviously, I would become a recluse, and people would be questing for my mythical and magical sandwiches, which means over time I would revamp the dungeon and start putting a whole bunch of traps in there to prevent people from getting my sandwich recipes. Uh, Very clearly, room two could be revamped into a nice little dangerous trap area. I would rebuild those idols in the alcoves into some... Uh, probably stone golems or iron golems that would attack for me. I think seven could be a nice turnaround room. Maybe they walk in and then the room spins as the trap triggers and they don't know how to get out clearly with A secret door as the false door, dumping them into room eight, which is where I throw all my discarded sandwiches, which due to the mystical, magical nature of my new domain, have mutated into a discarded sandwich golem entity, which would be really cool. There has to be some sort of trap floor that would drop them down to 23. Clearly in room 21, that would all be one trapped floor that would dump them down into the pit of eternal hunger which has a direct view up to room 22 but of course no way to escape so you can't see no i take that back you can see the sandwiches but you can't get to them which is one of the worst punishments known to man or humankind or elf kind or orc kind we're all inclusive here i don't want to leave anybody out I think 19 would probably end up being my own private living quarters. We've got that nice secret passage right to the main cooking area, but it's secluded enough that I could rest and relax. Uh, I would definitely have to excavate another secret passage to room 12, because if that is the hot tub party area, I need direct access from 19 and I don't want to teleport. I don't like teleporting. Uh, That's weird. Teleporting is bad. I don't want to scramble my atoms, especially magic. Magical teleporting is even scarier. Who knows where you could end up? So, we're going to have a tunnel, a good old fashioned walking tunnel. I think I could do a lot with this base to make it the uh, demigod domain of sandwiches. Now, if I was thinking quick enough on my feet, I could have had some alliteration in there, but I'm pretty tired uh, and I haven't eaten yet. So, I'm going to go make a sandwich and think about this a little bit more. But again, Big congrats to Neil and everyone on the DMNASTICS team. 100 episodes is a huge accomplishment, and I cannot wait for 100 more. If you want to get a hold of me, I am on Twitter at TheCalebG. Of course, you can find me and everyone else at the RPG Academy Network over at TheRPGAcademy.com. And you know, if you're not doing anything November 10th, 11th, and 12th, maybe you swing on down to Dayton, Ohio, and come to Akatacon 2017 5th edition, the 5th annual independent convention hosted by us here at the RPG Academy Network. It's going to be a hell of a good time. You can swing over to our website, that is the look at all the details and pick up tickets over at Eventbrite thanks again. congrats guys on a hundred episodes and see you next time.
4: Well, I think that's smashing
6: Hi everyone. My name's Ryan Hennessy, uh, also known as Whipstash, and I just wanted to wish Neil and everyone at DMNastics a happy one hundred I'm gonna jump right in and try and lift some weights with these maniacs and uh we'll get going from there i um Rolled my 100 percentile dice in order to select which post on the DMnastics forum I would be exercising with once again. And my number was 31, which is exciting because it was kind of the first kickoff to our whole entry into the Dayime Bay world. Neil had posted a bunch of fantasy art taken from album covers. Actually posted on this uh, in the forums when it went up the first time. And uh I chose the first picture, which is a picture of this uh super metal dude with a black cloak standing at the top of a parapet, and uh his eyes are closed, and he's holding a sword above his head and um so my first my first time doing this in the forums uh this was my response Bounde Al Mafek, known more widely today as Bain Day the Blind, rallying the southern forces after a victory against Grand Seer. Wold inspire the terrible. Despite the fact that the war continued for another 12 years, the victory at the Everlasting Keep was the turning point of the Great War. Bo'unde al-Mafek was one of many heroes involved in the war, but is likely the most well-known. It was Bo'unde that convinced the elders that the battle, and thus the war, would not be won without the aid of the green dragon Norinde. Despite the fact that Norinde had been the enemy of the civilizations of the West for generations, Bounde was able to not only hold court with her, but convince her to lend her aid against the Grand Seer. After the battle, Bounde stood on the highest parapet and let out the mightiest roar anyone had heard before or since. The Bellow of bende is one of the songs every bard learns in their second year at the Academy. So, obviously, I did that already. That's not going to be my one this time. I have chosen this, for this entry, uh, the picture number eight. And uh, you'd have to go onto the forums, search DMnastics number 31, find the pictures there, and uh, you can check it out. It's a picture of a, of a cityscape, kind of with a sun setting behind it. And there's uh, two small figures that you have to look pretty hard to notice. But that's the image. Go check it out, and uh, then you can see what's going on here. Two scouts hide in the rock formation by one of the lesser-traveled roads into the spired city, watching the sunset, waiting for darkness. The golden hues of the day's final rays of light glisten off the blanket of mist that hangs over the region, creating an ethereal, otherworldly atmosphere. "'Any chance this plan'll work?' the larger of the two asks his smaller companion, shifting his great axe from one shoulder to the other. "'Honestly? No. Not really. Outside of divine intervention?' halfling smiles as he shields his eyes against the setting sun. But crazier things have happened, eh? And one thing's for certain. Nothing'll change if we don't do something. Quiet! Someone's coming! The two infiltrators slink into the shadows of the crevices among the boulders as a city guardsman trots by on a chestnut brown stallion. The hulking half-orc closes his eyes and takes a deep inhale through his nose after the guard passes. Well, if we die... At least it'll be with the smell of the sea in our nostrils. Stars begin revealing themselves in the sky above. Let's get on with it. He stares at his friend for a brief moment before adding, Mizamalogo, help us find the way, or if necessary, make our own. The two emerge from their hiding and make their way towards the city in darkness. Thanks again, Neil, and everyone involved for having me on. Uh, congratulations, and uh, hope we get to hear a hundred more. If you want to hear more from me, hop on over to Twitter, follow me at DMWipstash, and you can see my work on my website, Whipstash.com, where I do fantasy cartography and web design and graphic design and document layout and all kinds of things. So, Whipstash.com or at dmwhipstash on Twitter, and uh,
7: we'll see you guys there.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
7: Hey, gang. Jeff Stormer here from Party of One. Today I'm going to be tackling DMnastics 42, what really grinds my gears, a steampunk guild in a D&D setting, but before I do that, 100 episodes, 2 years, that's so amazing, like that's such a cool achievement, and I know how much energy and effort that takes, and I know how unbelievably hard you all work at DMnastics to make that happen, so like, just congratulations, it's so cool cool, and I'm so proud of you, and you should be proud of yourselves. You're a wonderful group of people, and I'm so happy to be your friend and to watch this happen. Alright, steampunk. So if we're going to talk about steampunk in a DD and d setting, I really want to talk about the word punk, because I think that part of the word is often lost in the steampunk conversation. It's easy to picture the steampunk aesthetic, right? It's easy to picture steam... And think top hats and airships and gears and all of that cool stuff. But I think the punk half of that is often a little bit lost in conversation. Because punk, whether you're talking about pure punk rock or you're talking about something like cyberpunk, is often in response to a political or social norm. It is often kind of aggressive and disruptive and a little bit scary and dangerous And it is, you know, geared towards outsiders and radicals and things like that. So I kind of want to... For my D&D steampunk guild, I want to find a way to inject that kind of punk atmosphere into steampunk. And inject that kind of steampunk into D&D. And the two ways I think to do that are through nobility. Because nobility is is a D&D staple. And I think it is a, a political concept that should be challenged. And also magic. Because magic in D&D has a huge political power and a huge tangible power. And it is often tied to things like money through wizard schools or guilds or just through, you know, bloodline, like an aristocratic bloodline type situation. You're just sort of born with dragon blood and you're a sorcerer. Or it is born to devotion to a very specific set of religious beliefs, all of which are tied to power. There's a, there's a political power to magic in D&D that I think if you're building a steampunk guild, which is something outside of the D&D structure, it sort of, ex- should, I think it should exist in response to those things, and that sort of creates a punk atmosphere. Now, with all of that academic rambling laid out, let's introduce a steampunk guild into D&D. The unaffiliated consortium of mad scientists, also known as the steampunks, is sort of a loosely banded together political party founded by Cobbleford Mannheim, a gnomish political thinker and machinist who sort of railed against magic and nobility and the sort of inherent power structures therein and began performing the sort of disruptive, dangerous, sometimes chaotic and unplanned technology displays among like Smaller feudal towns and like working towns his objective was very simply to take power Tangibly and figuratively from the aristocracy and to give them to the people and the way that they do this is through science and technology oftentimes chaotic oftentimes Dangerous, but technology and science nonetheless their logo is very simple. It is the teeth of a gear And inside of that gear, there is one of those old round bombs. It is very simple and very recreatable because I think their guild structure is very much uh, loose. It is very much like, you know, maybe, maybe three people in a town with some money that has been handed off by the political machine in order to fund whatever nonsensical experiment the local scientist or whatever local dangerous thinker wants to make happen... It they sort of just facilitate that. There's not a lot of, like, group communication. It's sort of just... it's loosely affiliated gangs under uh, a political banner. So you have Cobbleford-Manheim. You also have, like, you know, other smaller gangs, like the Ramhorns, who are dwarven uh, engineers. Or the Steam Pistols, who are... well, they make Steam Pistols. The Curers, which are these sort of renegade Doctors Without Borders type things small gangs dedicated to sort of, uh, techno-anarchy, basically. The distribution of technology in order to replace magic and in order to disrupt noble power structures. Membership varies a great deal by city, groups are very small, they're very insulated, uh, and their technical achievements are generally flashy, they are chaotic, they are often explosive, they're big and showy things. And finally, A note on their style, they go full steampunk in their aesthetic. The steampunks look like what you think when you think the word steampunk, because that type of attire, top hats, coats with tails, complicated stitching patterns, sturdy clothing, that all looks mechanical, and that is very intentional on the part of the steampunks. They want their clothes to look like the kind of thing that you couldn't do, you couldn't do with mage hand, or you couldn't do by commissioning a tailor or by commissioning a weaver. This is something you have to do with a sewing machine. That is what their like kind of aesthetic is after. Is like this was made with technology and they're all about that sort of flourish on the word technology. All right, so this has been 6 minutes of me rambling about steampunk. So I'm going to cut it here. I think that's a great seed of an idea. Congratulations again on 100 episodes on 2 years. Brief plugs: you can find me at PartyOfOnePodcast.com, Twitter.com slash PartyOfOnePod. Also check out All My Fantasy Children at AllMyFantasyChildren.Libsyn.com and that'll do it. Yeah, congratulations again and, um, thanks.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
7: Hello,
8: DMnastics. This is Greg from Mythical Podcast, the Pokemon World D&D Adventure, and from Very Random Encounters, wishing you a huge congratulations on 100 episodes. It's an amazing milestone. Congratulations on all the great work over these last two years. Using the randomness that was built into our setting for Very Random Encounters, I came up with the topic of uh, DMnastics 11 Monster Mash, and the two monsters that I got to mash together were Kobolds and Mind Flayers. So keeping kind of a Call of Cthulhu vibe going, I imagine these little lizard creatures with tentacle faces that scurry throughout the Underdark. People call them Thought Devourers because if you run into a pack, you are likely to get out with any sort of brain intact. I imagine that kind of combining their pack tactics that alone... A thought devourer might maybe steal some of your happiest or saddest memories. They're drawn psychically to very strong emotions and feed off that. So if you run into one, maybe they'll, they'll take a happy memory or something recently and you'll just simply forget that ever happened to you. But if you run into a pack and they manage to swarm you, there are tales of... Adventures who've wandered out from the underdark with no memories at all nothing left they have no sense of self everything has been eaten by these horrible little creatures that have latched on psychically and drained them of all happy sad memories and emotions until there's nothing left i imagine sort of uh fight amongst the cobalt creatures, the thought devourers as the strongest, get the best memories. And then the weakest just take whatever they can have. And many adventurers have fallen prey to their terrible, terrible actions. So that is my thoughts on mashing two monsters together. I think that is a terrifying thing. Cobalts already in a pack, it can be quite scary, but having them being able to eat your very memories out from under you and collect them and devour them. Terrifies me personally, but congrats again on a hundred episodes. And if you want to find more of me, you can find me at white wing on Twitter. Uh, you can follow mythical podcast, the Pokemon world D adventure, Or you can follow Very Random Encounters podcast, a podcast where we randomly determine as many things as possible and try to make a cohesive story. So congrats, DMnastics. Uh, Here's to 100 more.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
9: Hi, this is Lou Anders, and I want to begin by wishing a huge congratulations to 100 episodes. I love listening to the show, and I have thoroughly enjoyed every time I have been on as a guest. So I am very happy to take part in this gymnastic exercise. So I rolled my percentage dice. I landed on 96. And I got Magic School Masterpiece. Now this one was uh, really interesting to me because I love Magic Schools. But it was also really challenging. I'm an author. I'm the author of the Thrones and Bones series of fantasy adventure novels for 8 to 12 year olds. But uh, if you're older than that, I think you'd still enjoy them. And a bit of a plug there. And one of the things in my books that I've done is to kind of keep magic at arm's length. There is some magic. One of the characters is half frost giant, and the frost giants practice their own cold-based magic. But it's uh, it's very low-level magic. It's used to cool things or to make ice. It's not a super powerful magic. We haven't had a wizard character show up in the books yet. Someone is... Spoiler, mistaken for a wizard, so the people in the stories certainly know what wizards are, but none are encountered. And one of the things that I've been wrestling with is, where is the magic in the world? Where are the wizards? Where are the powerful, powerful wizards? Because so far, magic has really been the purview of the bad guys, unless it's um, very low-level magic, or it's a magic sword, or a magic item. And I write in this world, and I game in this world and I also just have pages and pages of world-building notes that haven't yet made it into games or books and uh, I thought well I'll take this as an opportunity to really look at magic and the place of magic in my world and what this has forced me to come up with is that there aren't a whole lot of magical colleges and one of the reasons for that is about a thousand years ago as has already been established there was an empire called the Gordian Empire it fell a thousand years ago it was active for much longer and the Gordian Empire basically either conscripted magic users into the empire or eliminated any that they saw as threats and potential rivals. So even though that empire collapsed uh, a thousand years ago, they wiped out a lot of the higher-level magic of the time. And they also, um, I think, have... I think the traditions of keeping magic secret and safe are, are still with us today, to the point where giant magical schools that advertise their presence aren't commonplace. Now, there are a couple places where magic has survived, and it's, I mean, there's a lot of magic in the world, but there's a couple places where magic is still active, you know, at, at, a, at a large scale, but it's largely places that were never conquered by the Empire. So, for instance, very close to the um, the initial uh, cities and territories that the Empire arose from is a place called the Muspili Mountains, and the Muspili Mountains are home to fire giants and fire dragons, drakes. And also pyromancers. And there are, are some very powerful pyromancers there. But they are mostly keeping themselves and they're mostly left alone. You don't go join the school because the mountains are extremely inhospitable. There's all, It's also a volcanic range, as you might imagine. So they're there, don't know what they're doing, hope they stay there, hope they don't come out. Um, likewise, I think far up north, there is a magician who has retreated into a tower, and is doing something, and let's hope he doesn't come out anytime soon. But one of the big colleges that you can go to is a Druid's college, because the Druids are from the country of Ireland, and they were never fully conquered by the Gordian Empire. The Gordian Empire, that's about as far as the Gordian Empire got in their expansion, and there are several centuries of wars between the Queens of Ireland and the Uh, soldiers of the Gordian Empire and the Druids there have always assisted the Queens there it's a matriarchy there's always a woman in charge and there's always a Druid by her side helping out and so the fact that they have protected status within the kingdom and also that the kingdom has never been conquered means that you do have some large Druid colleges there and the largest is a school called Triskeel and it is in the forest near the town of Cath in Ireland, very near to Loch Lenuth, which of course has a Loch monster in it. The head of the college is a guy named Eremon, who is uh, a dwarf, but the bulk of the faculty are wood elves, humans, and one very old Hamadryad, which uh, in Dungeons and Dragons terms you would call an awakened tree, but it's the, the stationary form of a dryad. And he's, uh, you know, you go and you sit at his at the feet of this tree, and the tree wakes up and teaches a lesson. And um, the exercise asks for the school motto. The school motto is, the best apple is on the highest bough. And the school song, well, there is no song, but the bubbling of the brooks, the wind in the trees, and the scurrying of the wild animals through the woods. So, come on. Nature is sung enough. Uh, the symbol is the triskele. That's the three spirals that lock in the middle. It's, you know basically an ancient fidget spinner if you've seen one and that is my school and they are very very involved in maintaining the power of the ley lines that run throughout the earth so thank you very much thank you for forcing me to nail this stuff down and happy 100 well i think that's smashing
0: so here we are at the halfway mark for DMnastics 100 and if you're still listening which of course you are We have for you a very special, not guest, not at all, but instead someone who helped make Diemnastics what it is today. And I will let them reintroduce themselves right now.
10: Greetings, fellow travelers. I am Diem Main Prize, often in the shadows, often silent, but ever present, and I am More than grateful to be welcomed back into the hallowed halls of the DM-nastics gym.
0: Yes, the power of the beard is strong in this one. And with the other guests, I figured they could lift alone. But I would take this chance to lift with my bearded brother once again. So we're going to do like everyone else did, but we're going to try and do it to the max. To the max. Max Max reps, random DM-nastics. Ready, set, go.
2: Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights.
10: Okay, DM Neil. Looks like I have rolled up on our first random here, Nastics number 39, Thou Shalt Coven. Looks like a brief skimming over this. It has something to do with witches, which I absolutely hate. Yeah.
0: That's back when we were building the Coven of the Twelve, and we were building a group of witches to put into the world of De'Aimbe.
10: Mm. De'Aimbe. Now, I notice immediately here that number five, symbol or heraldry, is missing. So I think we should, you know, bust the biceps and figure out what their symbol is going to be.
0: I like it. And heraldry.
10: Yes, and the heraldry. The whole deal. Alright, symbol. Well, we've got... We know they're witches. That's the first thing. And we know that the number 12 is important to them. Let's see here. They were once a druid circle. So... Something having to do with nature. Maybe 12 leaves. Or maybe 12 branches. That are, like, uh, either braided together. Hmm, what else? What else? What else? says here the part of their ritual petrifies moss braid.
0: So, I was thinking that we could do either a 12-point star or a star inside of a star. Starception? Yep. And so like two 6-pointed stars? Yes. To give
10: us the 12?
0: Yes. I love this idea. So then it's like a super creepy pentagram, not pentagram because that implies implies 5. But yes
10: hexagram it's called a hexagram
0: yep so it would be a double hexagram
10: a double hexagram to represent both me and
0: yep. you <gasps> perfect and that is how we will have it for the coven of the 12
10: the coven of the twelve's symbol will be the hexagram
0: Ooh, that's okay. creepy quick idea you ready so you're going to have, you the stick, it could also be, you're in witches, they have wands, and then like to do like the, like essentially top end ritual for the Covenant of the Twelve, they actually create that 12 point star using their wands. Mm-hmm.
10: As part of the and it creates like a super weapon. It's like, a, it's like a, the WMD of witches. Yes. But it's yes. combined using the 12 wands that belong to the Order of the Phoenix.
0: I also love that WMD just turned into Witches of Mass Destruction. Witches of Mass Destruction. You're all welcome Boom. for that. Oh, all right. On that note, we're going to pull up another one. Let's do this. All right. I got 90. 90. <gasps> it's a great one. Moons over Dayimbe.
10: What is that? What are you saying to me?
0: That Dayanbe has not one, but two moons. And the idea was also tossed around that it would be a three-bodied system. Oh. oh. Mm. Okay, so here's the, here's the thing that we're going to play off of, though. So in the original mm-hmm. DMnastics aired episode, Rich Baker and I came up with the idea that one of the worlds would essentially be, like, there's very little water, and the air is such that when you're lower in elevation, there's enough air to breathe, but very quickly when you're higher. So then the only things that survive there are undead. And anyone with a magical affinity was also turned into a lich of that much power. So if you're a very low-level mage, you're essentially a low-level lich. What are other cool undead things that we could add to this planet to kind of flesh it out? Oh,
10: flesh it out. I see what you did there. Okay, okay. <laughs> so we've got... So zo- there's zombies, there's liches, there's I mean, vamps. They're undead. We've also got, mm. um, like, skeleton warriors... Flaming Skeleton Warriors. I'm sure there's some undead form of owlbear that should probably be on this moon. <gasps> that's I mean, but but I, but I don't just want to, I think that it's, I think it's weak. I think we're not putting enough weight on the barbell to just throw the word undead in front of another monster. I think okay. that's kind of weak and I think we're better than that.
0: I do. So, although I really liked the owlbear. bear. Idea because it kind of gave me the idea that the only things that survived had some sort of magical affinity.
10: Okay. Okay. What could we do? What could we do? Maybe we could. For some reason, I want to. I want to think that there is a magical type of bear that, whenever it kills and eats another creature, it becomes like a, a like a like a like a chimera of that creature. So like the owl bear is an owl bear because the bear once killed an owl. And consumed its oh, essence man. and became part bear. So there could also be like a bear crab that is a bear but has <sighs> pincers. But it's also undead. But it's like a whole It's like a whole dead forest full of these magical bears that when they kill something else, they become a half-breed with it.
0: So what you need to do is you need to check out a webcomic called Bearmageddon. And that is kind of the basis behind it is that there are all these different types of bears. Um, so like there's a bear T-Rex. That are put together. There's like a bear octopus that is uh-huh. just mortifyingly Awful. scary. Um, there's a bear anteater that actually or like a bear mole okay. that actually digs under the house. That's a great so idea. It's a bear sized mole. Yeah. So and all of them are undead. I like it. oh This planet is unbearable.
10: Oh, it is unbearable. As was that joke. Boom. Alright, next one. Go. Next one, go. All right, let me push that button. My tab is opening. The portal awaits. Oh, what an amazing title. the number 48. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box, man? Gymnastics 48, what is in the box? Oh, it looks like I posted this one. Ooh, well done. And it seems to be all about a... Postal service or the creation of how things are transmitted, you know, parcels, packages, and so forth within your world.
6: Yes.
0: So, I mean, there were a lot of things that were talked about originally in the forums and then in the episode. Mm -hmm. What would be, I think, a mental weight exercise for us would be new ways that things could be transported for a delivery system inside of a world.
10: So, when you say inside of a world, do you mean… Like, in tunnels that go from one side of the world to the other. Possibly. You know how like it like you got you go up to the bank and they send you the little tube through the air suction and you put your money in it and you send it in there and then they take your money and then you go spend your money somewhere stupidly. What if there was a a, a mountain or or a place or a realm or a kingdom where there were tubes everywhere, magical tubes that kind of like the whatever you call those things, the fireplaces in the Harry Potter land. But instead, they're uh-huh. tubes, like the Jetsons.
0: So I also like the idea that they're manned, like their station from station is mages.
10: Oh, well, you, you got to send it with magic. Absolutely.
0: But here's the idea, though. It's that the way that it works is that a mage uses some sort of flame-based spell on the other end, and then it sucks the
10: air out. Oh, like it
0: vacuums at the oxygen. Like a whole breach. That, <laughs> yep, and that's how the tu- the parcel moves through the tube. Is, yes. Yeah, the mage does like a little like a little cantrip. Or for like bigger items, bigger spells. Oh yeah,
10: oh, oh yeah. Well, And the thing is like you could also, I mean depending on how much you wanted to play around with having, you know, an economy in your world, you could say, let's say I want to send a package. I could use a firebolt and it may take a day to get there. But if I like, or like I, I could pay this mage to cast a firebolt. And it would take a day to travel. But I could pay him extra coin. He would cast, you know, Fireball, which would increase the mm. speed of the transfer. So I can get you my message instantly if I have the coin. But if I don't, I like then, it. you know, I go the slow route.
0: Oh my gosh. That would be how postage works. Yeah. It's a spell. Like the spell is essentially taped to mm-hmm. the parcel. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. I feel
10: like there's going to be a couple parcels that may turn into ash before they get home. Oh,
0: yep. <laughs> Definitely at your own risk. You're yes. gonna need to buy some insurance for this new exciting method. <laughs> boom. Literal boom done. Boom. All right. Randomize me. I don't know how many we wanna do, but we're going. We're going. We go till 61. we're unconscious. 61. Ah, yes. So for this one, we were looking at having one player, one DM and building mm. an adventure together. So there is a lot. There is a lot. This is girthy. Yeah, so we're not going to look at it. We're just going to build basic ideas of that ourselves. So one DM, one player, what do you do? I think that you need to put the player,
10: you got to place them in a position of, of conflict. I think that's always important at the beginning of whatever your adventure is. To get them to move move forward or take you know whatever your plot hook is and move it forward. If your plot hook has no conflict, they're not going to want to be involved. So I say, oh, yeah. I feel like a family member dying. That's always really tough. I think because when you're playing just one DM one character, you can get really personal with that person's character. if you're playing with four players at your table, if one of their family members, their character's family member dies you may not be able to spend enough time on it for it to actually have the meaning and weight that it should. But with one, you can maybe kind of, you can go that route and really explore that dynamic. So maybe some some soldiers, maybe your character is young and his father is in the army or military and he's off fighting in some battle. And it kind of like in the old World War II movies where like the soldiers pull up and the mom faints and they have to come and deliver the news. Uh, maybe start with something like that.
0: Oh, I like it. So the other thing that I thought of, and this could totally tie in, there is one immediate inspiration for me for this idea. And it's the fact that for 55 years now, we have had James Bond films. Mm. And for the most part, he's by himself. I mean, yeah. yeah, he has, I mean, essentially he has really cool NPCs that help him, namely <laughs> Q, giving him all that sweet, sweet gear. The Wizard and- Q. Yeah, the the occasional person but I mean for the most part it's not very many people that help him in those scenarios. So I think that that would be a good mix and because it makes a good movie it could make a good story mm-hmm. mixing both dialogue and action. You know I mean, these huge scenes yeah. that feel like there's so much weight and he's just playing poker. Right. Oh yeah. And so mixing in that social aspect as mm-hmm. well as the um, like actual action are a perfect way to do it. Because the riskiest place you can have your one player, one DM scenario is battle. Absolutely. Because the dice will decide.
10: Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, well, I guess my question would be, would you feel like if you were running this as a DM, would you willingly kind of bend the rules and maybe lower... The HP pools of, of certain enemies, not so much to make it easier, but just so they're like, because if like James Bond doesn't really have that much problem dispatching a Russian thug, you know, a low level guy. So maybe under a certain challenge rating, you kind of decrease their HP a little bit or maybe decrease decrease the armor class.
0: Oh, that's a really interesting way to look at it in terms of more of that, like almost stealing a little bit of that fourth edition mentality mm-hmm. and having minions yeah. again, and then having a very low barrier for essentially like, these are just the mooks. So you can either knock them out or get rid of them very easily. Mm-hmm. And then there's the real adversary. I like that. I like that. I a lot. like it too. I would do it. Okay. Your turn.
10: Oh, it is me. It is my turn. <laughs> Oh, this could be one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. The gymnastics, thirty-one, cover it all. And that first picture is just Ooh. my goodness. Oh, the second picture, wow. Third picture, I wow.
0: These are all amazing. There, this one is really good. This ended up being a super, super long episode with with Morgan and I. But that oh, I don't help. doubt it. That's how they all go, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, so it looks like
10: these are all like amazing album covers, I would assume. Yep.
0: Oh, wow. my. What? The fontage. Oh, my the gosh. Textage. I think I found the one. So I came up with the idea that – because I think all of I those agree. have like had quite a bit about them, and I came up with the idea to find one for us. And if I can find a better resolution of it, a gigantic resolution of it, oh is it just love quality oh my gosh dude you're <laughs> you am i gonna I die e- i can't even remember. you better even oh my gosh we're doing this one <laughs> you're so not ready it's so good and so bad i'm being redirected king
10: of the nordic twilight and if you could see this picture my goodness listeners this man with this blade and whatever is coming out of it, his pet direwolf. Is he shooting? A f- Here's my question. Is he shooting that electric firebolt at Saturn?
0: Yes. He's undoubtedly shooting it at the planet that's in the sky right now.
10: I don't know if it will reach, but I commend him for trying.
0: It will. I believe in him and his power and his conviction that it will reach that other planet and strike it down by the power of the wolf. The King of the Nordic twilight will prevail. He will. So yes, that is the album cover we have before us. So the uh, prompt essentially is to talk about this person and okay. the cool things that they're doing in the world of Dei Bay. Oh, Dei
10: Bay. So, well, what what I find interesting about this being said in Dayan Bay is that you can actually see not only is there that Saturnish-looking planet, but you know to the left of it there's also a dark blue planet. So it kind of maybe either the, he's on one of the three celestial bodies yeah. of the realm of Dayan Bay, or maybe it's not a he. We don't we actually can't see the person's face, so I'm willing to say that it's just a really stellar princess who's got a pet wolf. Kind of like a fully grown Arya Stark, perhaps.
0: Mm, I like it. Luca Turilli.
10: Luca Turilli, I got we gotta download that album later. Yep. Yep. King of the oh, Nordic man. Twilight.
0: Yep. And they are shooting this like oh. So then there'd be an Eldritch Knight definitely super high level and they're actually shooting something it is both like lightning and fire and just magic in general at one of the other celestial bodies but i want to say that they're high enough level that it would work and there is like a legitimate reason as to why that needs to happen okay are you with me yeah yeah i'm, I'm with you i'm with you so this is the culmination of a quest to resolve an issue with the alignment of the three-body system because for Ooh. a three-body system there is a very very specific set of guidelines that need to occur for those to exist well with each other and something was starting to throw it out of alignment and this spell will correct it
10: i'm, I'm going to tell you what i think was throwing it out of alignment go, go. i think that the castle that we see in the in the background on the horizon, I think that it was actually the castle of an evil mage who was trying to master magic through science and was manipulating gravity. So I think that this shot is actually a signal flare to the Saturn planet on which they will launch perhaps a interplanetary or orbital strike of some magnitude down onto this castle, destroying it. And that's why sh- this person is so far away from it, is because you don't want to be danger-close on that kind of artillery.
0: But you want to be close enough that they know But you want to where... be close
10: enough that they know, okay, he's shooting this flare over the target zone, and we gotta, we got to unleash some interplanetary fireball spells.
0: Perfect. All right, before we make this episode too too long... <laughs> I say, sir, we have done it, and we have done it more than Masterfully. Most.
10: I will take this time to thank every listener for continuing to listen to the show and for all of the wonderful guests who come on and the new legendary co-host who comes on. You guys, you keep it running and you keep this community completely full of legends.
0: Perfect. And remember we, both of us implore you to join up on the forums and take part in all of these challenges and exercises, and you are hearing a lot of them today, as well as all of the other amazing conversations being had. Do you remember what to do after that?
10: To do that, head over to DungeonMasterBlock.freeforums.net and try some gymnastics of your own, so your players don't ask, "Do you even lift?"
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
11: Hello, I am John Arcadian. I've been on the Dungeon Master's block once or twice, mostly talking about the Tarrasque. And when Neil said, hey, we're going to do something really awesome for DMnastics 100, uh, I said, heck yeah, I'm in for that. So we rolled the dice and I got an 84, talking about what to assign for a section of DM Bay that, that would be for what kind of rulership it would be. And so uh, they talk about four different types of monarchy, absolute monarchies, constitutional monarchies, federative monarchies, and elective monarchies. And aside from this having a really awesome map that I really like and I'm more than a little jealous of, you know we talked to uh, in the in the forums they talk about like all the different types of monarchies and what they like and I have to say I agree with a lot of people in there that if we're, we're doing it for a fantasy land there are a lot of cool things you can do with an absolute monarchy I've always loved that sort of idea that if you uh, of the benevolent dictator like you see in Frank Herbert's dune with uh, uh, Duke the II <laughs> because it is just this this like yeah if you have somebody who can just say nope this is the way we're doing it and I do not have to be beholden to the same system other people are beholden to, they can attempt to do more. you know they, they can say like no, people are going to treat each other nicely or we're going to have laws that you know don't uh, help my interests in you know the wheat fields because I didn't come from a, a large chunk of money that has a, you know is dependent on wheat farming. So it's it's kind of cool to think about all the different things you could do there. Let's see, somebody here talked about clerics and the idea that, uh, yeah, Jesse Ross talked about clerics, like the idea of having the uh, servant of the main visora and deity uh, in order to be considered fit to rule. And that's kind of cool in itself in a fantasy realm, <laughs> because, yeah, you know, when we're talking about other people and not me, it, it's like, yeah, what would it life be like under a, you know, this is all forced to a certain kind of religious, religious sort of country? You know, if you're a visitor there, it's like, yep, we have to understand that is the way their people work. And there's a lot of cool grounds for that in fantasy realms and a lot of cool ways you can kind of look at stuff. I like the idea that uh, it's a Dragon King by DM Sam. Since the is Dragonborn, perhaps the entire aristocracy should be. That's kind of cool, especially from a, you know, you're playing humans in a fantasy world perspective. It's always cool to kind of walk up and be like, oh, this works like I think it should work. Only it doesn't. There's one thing just like one degree off. The other cool thing about an absolute monarchy is that there is a lot of strain on the queens or kings or, or emperor or empress's shoulders, and the advisors are important. Um, they talk about an old dwarf called Balin you know, advising this king and got to to know the young prince, and that's really kind of a, a cool thing to throw into your stories. We're like, oh, yeah, the, the old dwarf advisor, he's just... Uh, I remember Joe back when he was just a wee lad and, and swinging around a wooden sword. And you've got like a cool kind of story element in there. And then people want to know the backstory of this and what could have happened. And maybe those are, you know, are characters from another game that are now currently NPCs. So while it's nothing I would really like to live under or see in the real world, it's cool to think about absolute monarchs in terms of, um, you know fantasy games and also because you know i am the head of gnome stew i have to give a great big shout out to dm sardu who uh likes the idea of a gnome monarch i like that idea too
4: well i think that's smashing
12: hi there i'm richard baker with a special congratulations to DM Nastics on their 100th episode you might know me from things such as the primeval fool campaign setting uh, second, third, fourth and fifth edition D&D or the new alternative science fiction role playing game from Sasquatch Game Studios. Anyway, my exercise today is cryptozoology. Now, this sounds like a lot of fun. Who doesn't like cryptozoology? I mean, come on. Bigfoot, Nessie, Mothman, all the whole gang. That's just a blast of a uh, inspiration for running stuff in your in your D&D game. The first thing I think of when I think about cryptozoology in the context of a fantasy RPG is that You know, any monster really should be able to be a cryptid. When you think about it, player characters are kind of the people who are most clinical and less impressed by monsters than anybody else in the presumable campaign world, right? When you think about it, how many times does a peasant run across an owlbear or a griffin or a storm giant, right? To a typical peasant in the world you know, does he know the difference between different kinds of giants? I think the answer is no, right? I mean, the players roll into town. They're like, okay, we hear you're having trouble with giants. What kind of giants do you got? The peasant's like, I don't know. We got big ones. Why would he know what the difference is between a Fomorian or a, uh, a hill giant or a stone giant is? To him, they're just all really big, scary giants. Anyway, I think one of the things that we can do with the idea of cryptozoology is try to restore a little mystery to the idea and the concept of monsters in, the, in a game setting. The other fun thing about cryptids is they also come with really good nicknames that kind of hide what they are or, or what they can do to you. Uh, so, for example, we have the idea of uh, Bigfoot, uh, Sasquatch, right? And if you don't have any grounding if, as a player character to know what that might refer to, you go in, you roll into the village, and you find out, hey, okay, you've got something called Old Hornclaw. Well, what's Old Hornclaw? Is he a griffin? And the peasant says, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, is he a dragon of some kind? Uh, no, I don't think so. Is... <laughs> and, and you can have a lot of fun of the players just trying to figure out, okay, clearly the people in this area have a problem, but they just don't know what it is exactly they're facing, and they expect us to fix it uh that provides you with a great opportunity to to create a little misinformation for the party like for example if the party knows that they're going to go in for oh for a swamp monster called the uh, old stink eye okay old stink eye maybe they go in and they're looking to protect themselves against petrification because they think it might have something to do with a uh, basilisk you know due to the idea that there's an eye thing in there you know but what if it's just uh you know a uh, big nasty powerful you know water waterborne dinosaur right i mean if it's actually like a a mosasaurus or something that just you know is is known for you know kind of having red eyes that seem to be really hateful and 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 stare at you right before it attacks so you roll in there with with your protection from petrification scrolls and your uh and your mirrors to try to reflect its gaze and all of a sudden you find out well you know, shoot, uh, all this preparation we made has nothing whatsoever uh, to do with the monster we're actually going to fight. So I think there's a lot of fun and there's an opportunity to do some investigation and mystery and and maybe instill just a little bit of that sense of wonder back into the players that maybe they don't necessarily have because they spent their entire playing careers fighting monsters and just killing them. Anyway, one more little thought about this, and that is, uh, I think it's fun when you actually assign a monster, or a local threat, a A mystery and a name and a story behind it that really does increase the payoff that the players get when they actually track down that monster and defeat it when they when they finally solve the mystery where they figure out where they have to find this thing when they figure out what it actually is and how to beat it now you just go from ah we went into the woods and we we killed a nasty owlbear that had a few extra hit dice into no we're the guys who actually figured out how to how to trap old Hornclaw, and we're the ones who actually you know, kill them and and save the village, and and you know every time he passed through that village from now until the end of the campaign, they're like, "Hey, you're the guys who, who took care of Old Hornclaw. You rock!" and and I think that's a little fun. That adds a little, a little bit of uh, character and and legendary uh, achievement to an activity that players do a dozen times a a month in your typical campaign. Let's make uh, monster killing impressive again. And I think a little uh, inspiration from cryptozoology is kind of just the thing to do that. Anyway, that's all for cryptozoology for me. Uh, Once again, this is Richard Baker. Uh, You can follow me on uh, Facebook. I have an author page there. Or you can uh, uh, follow uh, what I'm up to at uh, SaswatchGameStudio.com. Thanks a lot, and uh, happy gaming.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
13: Hello, team. It's Rich Howard from Whelm, the Young Justice Files. Congratulations on hitting episode 100. DMnastics isn't just an amazing offering for Game Masters. It's an incredible writing tool for anyone who's creating stories. Thanks for all the hard work. So I clicked the little randomizer here and uh, it popped up number 13, which turns out to be (laughs) those pesky players. (laughs) I'm pretty sure this reflects back on the actual episode I was in. Talking about playstyles, Maybe. Anyway, so let's dive into this. It uh, looks like DM Phil had put up a bunch of questions. Questions about being a player and that kind of thing. It says in this podcast thread, uh, there's a poll about the type of player you are. And so let's talk about that a little bit. So I used to call myself a storyteller or an actor, but it was listening to Phil and Senda on Pandas Talking Games where they introduced the idea of a playstyle called the Rainmaker. That was the first time I'd ever heard of that, at least in that context, and I think I'm absolutely that player. I love playing leader class characters, D&D, and support classes and other games. I'm pretty rarely the front man as far as combat is concerned, though I, I enjoy that. But what I really, really love is buffing other people and cranking them up and supporting their storylines. And of course, hoping that they'll support mine and I'll have a good storyline as well. I, the question is, why did you choose that playstyle? I don't think I chose that playstyle. I think, like a lot of other people, I stumbled on that playstyle. That's just who I am as a person. When did that playstyle become a, a thing for me? I mean, Gosh, I don't know. Maybe because I was like one of the first dungeon masters and I was always running games for other people, like from even a very early age, (laughs) 10 or 11, 12. If I wanted to play a game and I was really, really hurting to get a game in, I would be the one who would run it. So maybe it comes from that lifestyle or lifelong game master. It's possible. What stories work best for my play style? Is that a thing for a rainmaker? I don't know. That's a good question. I guess the stories that involve teamwork and and group coordination are the best kind of stories. I'm not sure if there's a particular genre that fits with that, but I'm not sure things where other people can do amazing things and I can help those amazing things happen. But it really, my goal is also try and feel out what the game master is trying to get, what the through line of the story is and try to help them move that forward for themselves and for everyone else. How can I be a better member of a party? Mm, there's definitely a time where sometimes I was thinking that, you know, that aspect of being a Rainmaker was more important than having a character that was well-made, or maybe not well-made, but, you know, perfectly tight or viable. And sometimes that's, depending on the game and the mechanics, that's not a thing. Like, you should really know the rules, you know, of course, to and, and, and choose to make a character that's mechanically viable on the table while still playing into the, the role-playing play style that you want. Mm. And the last question is, if you're currently playing at another, you know, DMs or GMs table, talk about the character that you're playing right now. And I'm not, actually. I'm working on uh, a game system or a game right now. And the last character I played in that was a giant crab cultivator uh, playbook that uh, involves growing and, and cultivating bioengineered and psionic items. It was pretty cool. So I'm trying to think of what's the last character that I played in an actual campaign? I think it was a paladin or a cleric of Poseidon that had an amazing story arc, and in there it was a little tough. I had to kind of focus on my own story arc. I couldn't really be the Rainmaker, because in that particular case, it was a sandbox-style game. And when you have a sandbox style game, it actually makes it very difficult for me because I don't know what the through line is of the story that you want to tell, so I can't help you get there. And nobody else has an idea of what they are doing either, unless I can find out what their personal character story arc is. We're basically wandering around until we make our own story. So I ended up focusing a lot more on kind of my story and how I would react to the other players. It was great. It turned out being great for me, but I didn't feel like I got to fulfill that story arc like or that um, maker aspect that makes me very excited. So yeah, that's interesting reflection. Yeah, I think that's it. Guys, seriously, you guys work hard. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, the Dungeon Masters block and my guest spots on there really turned uh, turned my career to 11. So thank you for all the things that you guys do across the board. So as I mentioned, I'm the co-host of Whelm, the Young Justice Files podcast. I'm also working with an amazing team to create the aquatic game I've always wanted. Uh, And you can find out more about that at www.descentintomidnight.com or on Twitter at D-I-M-R-P-G. That's Descent Into Midnight RPG, D-I-M-R-P-G. Thanks so much, guys.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
13: Hello,
14: heroes. This is James D'Amato of the One Shot Podcast Network, and I'm here to congratulate our friends, DMnastics, on two years of broadcasting and 100 episodes. It takes a tremendous amount of dedication and love to make something that lasts like that. And that's not just from the people who create it, but that's also from you, the listeners. Without you out there encouraging them, interacting with them, participating in creativity exercises that make DMnastics what it is, there would be no show. I know how valuable a gift that is, so thank you so much for giving it. With that, my DMNastics randomizer landed me on six, and my assignment brings me into the world of horror. I'm tasked with providing effects for these three curses. The first is Hell's Fury, then there's Dwarf Fraught, and finally Coffin Spire. Horror is a pretty tricky thing to apply to D and D. By nature, D&D is a confrontational game, and horror mostly lives in the space of building up to some sort of confrontation. You get more mileage out of the dread of a monster than you do of actually seeing it. The only sort of fear you really get in any sort of D&D game is feeling vulnerable. Vulnerable to a threat that is larger than you. Taking a look at Hell's Fury, it conjures up a sort of fire and brimstone idea of a curse. Something loud and dramatic, like fire actually burning your skin or hurting you in some active way. I don't like that so much because it feels like pretty much everything else in D&D. You're not dreadfully afraid of a fireball. A fireball is a routine part of combat. So Hell's Fury should take on some of the thematics around Hell while hanging on to some sense of subtlety. And subtlety is actually the theme that I'm going to pick for the Hell's Fury curse. The one idea D&D really has that's distinct between devils and demons is that devils sign contracts. Rather than using the brute force that demons use to advance their chaotic evil agenda, devils make people sign contracts and slowly con people into furthering their lawful evil agenda. Also, if we get a little biblical, hell is simply the place where those who are no longer favored by God have been cast down. And rage against the Almighty is pretty impotent rage. What are you to do against an opponent that can reshape the universe with a thought? I believe the Hell's Fury curse should force a victim into acting against their opponents indirectly. Someone afflicted would suddenly become too weak to lift a sword should they decide to charge at their enemy. The only way they would be able to strike is through other parties, subtly manipulating their way into harming the person who cast the curse in the first place. It would provide total immunity from any sort of harm directly inflicted by a victim. If a party was afflicted with Hell's Fury, they would no longer be able to attack their enemies, making any righteous rage or anger the party feels at what their enemies are doing nothing more than the impotent cries of the damned, turning it to Hell's Fury. Next up, we have one that I am only now realizing I disastrously mispronounced earlier, and that is Dwarf Rot. For Dwarf Rot, I think we're going to go with pretty standard body horror. I would want this to be a long-term curse where the victim grows a beard all over their body, not just on the outside, but slowly and surely on the inside as well. Perhaps even before the beard has truly advanced to the stage where it goes beyond where it would naturally grow on a face, it's already begun budding in the lungs, making it hard for an adventurer afflicted to breathe and move. As it advances, food and drink catches in the throat and stomach, slowly causing victims to begin wasting away, starving in slow motion. Senses begin to evaporate. Victims become blind and deaf. As the hair works its way into their eyes and nervous system, one by one shutting different functions of the body down until they are nothing more than a skeleton with a beard. Finally, we reach the coffin spire, and for this one, I want to go American folklore. I think the coffin spire works like an illusion, a menagerie of shades, false ghosts of the people that you know in life. The hero begins at the bottom fighting one by one each person they know, escalating to the person they love dearest in all the world. These fights can take minutes, hours. Perhaps a person will only complete the coffin spire in centuries, but once they have, all of the time spent battling in the spire will have been real. They will awaken again, the age that they were. Their loved ones will have lived and died without ever seeing them again. And the only memories our hero will be left with will be of the moment that they killed them. Well, that's it, guys. That's my DMnastics exercise for episode 100. Congratulations once again for everyone responsible for getting them here. See you next time, heroes.
4: Well, I think that's smashing. Hey everybody, this is Alex from BattleBards, and I'd like to give a huge congratulations for
0: their 100th episode. Great job, guys. Looking forward to another 100. So I rolled my percentile dice and got 19. Nautical nonsense. Man, I love underwater combat. In fact, I like to spice things up a little bit for those PCs that aren't too accustomed to 3D combat. So when they plumb the depths looking for buried treasure deep in the depths of the ocean, I like to do something I call super flanking, where when they're attacked by Sahagans or Marrows or any underwater creepy crawlies, I typically like to put enemies above, below and side to side of my scared little PCs and give flanking a little bit of an extra push. Sometimes that will be a plus four instead of a plus two or an advantage with an extra bonus just to add that little sense of, whoa, we can be attacked from every single direction.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
15: Hello everybody, and welcome. My name is Will from Encounter Roleplay. Uh, I'm really excited for the two year anniversary of DM Nastics and I'm really excited to be back on today to do a little bit of a section here. A uh, huge congrats to everybody who's been on the show and the careers. Really, really well done, guys, and I know that two years means a lot. Uh, it's been a long time, so uh, without any further ado, let's get into it. And I rolled a 97 on the DM Nastics table, nice and high. So, this is what we got here. We got the Tarask. Tarask me no questions. Perfect. So number one, rumor mill. What are the prevailing theories about the Tarask in the world of Diembi? Where do people think it comes from? Who do they think sends him? Okay, well what if the Tarask is a cursed and polymorphed mage whose own experiments turn against him? Maybe as a punishment by a god or a, a set of gods. Uh, either way, the mage is now the interdimensional hellhound, full of gods. So when they are sufficiently annoyed, the Tarask comes calling. At least that's what people say. Whether or not that's true is a different matter. All right. The second part is we do we added a feature. So what is one additional feature, like a Tarask, uh, that we could throw at the players for a loop? Oh man, that's good on. What if it was a phased Tarask, meaning that it could come. The players from multiple directions and multiple dimensions as well. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds sufficiently evil. <laughs> you thought phase spiders were bad. Phase Tarasks, holy moly. <laughs> Alright, and part three the battle is nigh. How would you spring the Tarask on your players? Just a generalized thought process. Let's see. Um, okay, so what if it's an arbitrator of the gods' will, perhaps if a player character or a party as a whole annoys a god or a set of gods enough the tarasque could summon the party to a trial and should they be found guilty the tarasque is set upon them basically so maybe at first it's not necessarily just there to kill them it's there to summon them you know you've been served Uh, and then the tarasque uh, if the trial goes badly for them in whatever dimension or heaven or hell that it summons them to than that they get to fight the Tarrasque, so that's that's what I would do with that one. Uh, that was that was a fun little bit of DmNastics, good good workout there. Again, huge congrats to everybody at DmNastics for this two year anniversary. Uh, my name is Will I'm from Encounter Roleplay if you enjoyed this I run a podcast named Turn Cloaks and another one called Wonder Quest on the Encounter Roleplay network you can go listen to those on iTunes I think you'll have a good time listening to them uh, we play some dark fantasy on Turn Cloaks every week and some lighter fantasy uh, with Wonder Quest every week as well oh and we're also doing a weekly D&D live stream on the Wizards of the Coast Dungeons and Dragons channel twitch.tv forward slash DD every Saturday again thank you to everybody Body at DMnastics. Congratulations on your two years and I can't wait for the next one.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
16: I'm Suzanne Wallace, brand manager at Roll20. I'm really excited to congratulate Neil and DMnastics on reaching their 100th episode. It's an amazing milestone. And to celebrate, I'm rolling a D100 to find a DMnastics exercise to do. And I rolled a 64, which means that I have to describe a genie. First, I have to describe the container that holds the Genie, which is a coffee cup with a sippy cup on top, little sippy top of that coffee mug. It's a good little blue coffee cup with a very nice handle that, thank goodness, is heat insulated because you know that Genie gets a little bit fiery. Uh, The Genie that appears out of this coffee cup is brown. And very sharp angled. He always looks as though he's drawn with a nicely calligraphied felt dip pen. He's a little bit cranky all the time, almost as though he never drinks enough coffee or maybe too much coffee. And his name is Bill Jamina. First name Bill, last name Jamina. And the last thing that I need to do is answer the wish in a creative way of the last person on the forums. So uh, responding to the wish, the last one that I could find on the forums, which was, I wish to be an immortal vampire without the weakness to the sun. Well, Bill Jamina's response to this wish is to grant it, but with a handicap, the vampire is not weak to the sun, but they are weak to pollen. And they constantly sneeze through all their immortal years. If you want to find me, uh, you can on Twitter at I am a snarky pants. Thanks so much. Congratulations, gymnastics.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
2: Hey guys, Morgan Jenkins here from Going In Blind Podcast and We're So Bad at Adventuring, wishing you all a happy 100th episode in the Diemnastics gym. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me, lift these weights Lifting weights is good for you And you can do it too Roll the dice From monster mashups to making detailed maps To bearded folks or making really deadly traps Deal to gods and curses summoned by purple fire Just hit those forums, they will inspire Using magic cards or album part There is tons of places that you can start Just not in a tab Don't start there, it's been done to death Now have a chorus for a second while I catch my breath Lifting weights is what we said and to the forums you all fled to make the world in which we play the world of Day base 74. Okay, so my exercise is to create a magic item based on the name Shadowfall Cage, currently in scattered pieces and lost across the world. So I feel like it'd be kind of fun that instead of having to bring the parts together to trap something, instead the players have to keep them separate, like they're magically drawn to each other like magnets, so the players have to keep an eye on them during their adventures and push the different parts away from each other in order to stop the cage from forming, at which point it would invert and envelop the entire world. Fun No? Oh, okay. Well, perhaps the cage is meant to come together to trap something, like a gin. But then when it's put together, the party realises that the cage was actually the rip cage of a Tarrasque, and then it comes back to life, and they've summoned it by trapping the gin, and then they have to fight the thing that they've summoned. Or perhaps it's just a cage. There you go, my lifting's done, but there's plenty more than just my one. A hundred down, we've just begun, so come on, everyone, and lift. Lifting Lifting weights is what what I I do. do. Look at me, lift these weights. Lifting weights is good for you, and you can do it too. So thank you to Neil and everyone at Dungeon Masters Block and DMNastics for letting me come on here and do this, and to turn up on a whole bunch of different episodes. It's really been amazing to see how the community's banded together and create so many amazing things, and to be allowed to be a part of that. I look forward to many, many more episodes where I get to sing small interstitial songs in between things when they let me out of my cage.
4: Well, I think that's smashing.
1: Well, I hope everybody enjoyed all the special guests. There's a lot, and there's a lot of history there. You know, this show's been going on for a bit. I haven't been here the whole time, but, you know, I've enjoyed the time that I've been here, and there's been some really cool people that have uh, been on occasionally as well. So here's to many more, maybe in another hundred or so. There'll be another cool episode that we can go back, and, and we can get some really awesome guests to recap, you know, some of their, some good mental gymnastics of their own. So if you have any feedback or anything you'd like to share about maybe some of your favorite moments of DMnastics and some of the best exercises that we've done over the years, you can go ahead and email us uh, at dmnastics at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at DMnastics. You can also find me at Josh Clyde. And what about you, Neil?
0: You can always find me at Jotemaniac, and our Twitter handles are on the main handle. Also, we've been g- getting a lot of new followers over there, and for every 100 followers that we get, I do a contest. This last time we had Norse Foundry actually donate some of their amazing pirate coins, and they're going to a winner. And when we reach 900, we will do something that I- is yet to be determined. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But above all of that, I want to implore you, the listener, to join up on the forum and take part in these challenges and exercises, as well as all of the other awesome conversations that are being had.
1: To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net, and you can try some diagnostics for yourself so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I gotta get a pump. That's it. That's good.
4: It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Oh, I could barely lift my right arm, because I did so many. I don't know if you heard me counting, I did over a thousand. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you.
16: <laughs> Can I trust you will add your own cardio? Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. What are you doing? Horizontal running.